Chapter Four of Cycling in the Alps by C. L. Freeston. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. The Fluella. Descriptions of tours are of two types: the prospective and the retrospective. In nine cases out of ten, the retrospective treatment is adopted. The writer tells us, with more or less circumstantiality of detail, how and when he started where he had his meals or stayed for the night his adventures by the way even to the minute particular puncture the people whom he met and the sort of weather he enjoyed according to the charm or otherwise of his descriptive style and according to the amount of interest or want of it that may attach to his own personality a story of this kind may or may not prove entertaining its practical worth however is oftener than not in inverse ratio to its wealth of personal detail the reader does not care to know everything that happened on a particular journey but what he himself is likely to encounter when he comes to follow in the same track it is no concern of his that this or that incident occurred at a stated period of the itinerary unless in the nature of things something similar is of probable occurrence when he traverses the same ground to be useful it seems to me the treatment of the subject should be as far as possible prospective sinking the personal for the most part in the severely practical it is much easier to adopt a different method for the necessity of including figures as to gradients and altitude has a ruinous effect upon one's rhythm and with switzerland as the theme the temptation to indulge in purple patches of fine writing is as constant as it is real but i do not forget that i am addressing a great body of genuine tourists probably but a few of them have been over the whole ground i have to describe and might be interested in comparing my reflections in the light of their own experiences the vast majority of my readers are more likely to desire as much definite information as can be given within the limits of a work of this length with as little of the personal as possible or of the mere impressionism that scorns all reference to useful facts and figures and yet momentarily i must depart from the rule of my own making it is several years since i crossed the fluella pass and my recollections are not scientifically precise i doubt if any man could say otherwise of the first alpine pass up which he pushed a cycle the new-found labour the sublimity of the scenery the intoxicating atmosphere and above all the supreme difficulty of accustoming the eye to the unwanted distances conspire to limit the capacity for detailed observation which a later acquaintanceship with other passes renders more easy though parenthetically it may be observed that if one is to photograph on one's brain the full measure of the splendours of these journeys each pass must be ascended not once but many times and with even more deliberation than the gradient itself requires the paramount impression left on my mind at the time i crossed the fluella was that of the utter impossibility of adapting one's vision to the stupendous heights and depths there encountered the river flowing deep below as one descended from the summit seemed so far away that the intervening space was wholly immeasurable in no pass that i have since crossed have i experienced a like sensation for the rivers are often comparatively close at hand whereas in the fluella it survives in my recollections as peculiarly distant nor was this by any means the mere result of being at a great height for it was not my first visit to switzerland 
and already I had stood 6,962 feet above the sea on the summit of the Aesel, one of the peaks of Mount Pilatus. But the sense of height is governed by the nearness or otherwise of surrounding objects, and to this day I am wondering to what extent the fluella is peculiar among the passes in conferring a sense of remoteness from a river or other visible but distant object. The only other occasion I can recall on which one felt so far away from the water below was when at the Italian lakes a year later my wife and I made a pedestrian excursion up the pilgrimage path of Monte Bispino. It is only 4,385 feet high, but when descending, and the lovely lake of Como comes in sight, it seems as though one would never reach its level, and over the triangular cobbles one's progress is so arduous that that distant sheet of bright blue water remains a tiny ring for an incredibly long and tantalising period. The Fluella Pass is most worthy of the traveller's attention because it offers the easiest and shortest route to the Engadine. Both the Albula and the Julier involve a more protracted journey by road from the nearest railway terminus. One's final choice, however, depends upon a variety of considerations, the cyclist being influenced by the amount of probable climbing, the relative claims to beauty of the three routes, and his ultimate intentions after reaching the Engadine. If it be his desire to see some amount of the lower Engadine, ride through the upper, and then descend the Maloya Pass to the Italian lakes, I should decidedly recommend him to select the Fluella route. The train will carry him to Davos Platz, whence there is a mile and a half of descent to Davos Dorf, where the Fluella Road begins. As Davos Dorf is already 5,160 feet above the sea, and the summit of the pass is 7,835 feet, the cyclist has only 2,675 feet to climb, or very considerably less than if he trains to the Qua or Thusis, and ascends either the Albula or the Julier. It is quite impossible to calculate the average gradients of the Fluella, the exact mileage being unascertainable. The Continental Road Book gives 13.25 kilometres for the ascent and 14.25 for the descent, and to the best of my recollection, these distances were borne out by a direction post on the summit. Baidecker, however, is altogether mixed in his distances. His intermediate stages make the ascent nine and a half miles and the descent six miles respectively, but from his totals the ascent appears as only eight miles, while by a reckoning on another page, the distance from Davosdorf to Sus, the foot of the pass, is seventeen miles. Accepting the road book figures, however, at eight and a quarter and eight and three quarter miles for the ascent and descent, we get a gradient of about 330 feet for the former and about 350 feet for the latter. It will be seen, therefore, that the pass is not one of the steepest, while it is one of the shortest. I remember that the first five miles at least of the ascent were comparatively easy, with an accentuated gradient nearer the top. The road is well shaded for several miles by larch groves which shield one from the sun, but in the upper stages it is magnificently wild and barren. The cattle that browse on the Fluella pastures are the handsomest in Switzerland, which is high praise. The pass is also remarkable for the richness of its flora, which carpets all but the highest slopes with brilliant masses of rhododendrons, primulas, anemones, 
and other flowers in wonderful profusion. There are no villages, by the way, but a couple of small inns, the Alpenrosa, 6,005 feet, and the Shugen, 6,370 feet, while homely food is obtainable at the hospice at the summit. Two lakes adjoin the hospice, the Schottensee to the right being silver-green in hue and filled with floating ice and snow, while to the left is the Schwarzsee with clear spring water. I remember with what an out-of-the-world feeling I lay on the bank of the first-named lake, gazing into a cloudless sky and oblivious of everything civilised. The Fluella is not quite the highest of the Swiss passes, but it is much the wildest of any on my list at all events. The descent from the hospice to Seuss is the part of the journey as to which my recollections are the least precise, particularly as regards its rideability. I had only a plunger brake, which I could not use because of a transverse gash on my front tyre. It was therefore necessary to walk a good deal of the way down. If the distance is eight and three-quarter miles, the gradient, as I have said, must average about 350 feet per mile. But if Baedeker be correct in his figures, the descent averages 524 feet instead. I doubt the latter figures very much, however, for I rode part of the way, and the walking was only necessary, to the best of my recollection, for the reason I have given, and not because of a steepness that would have made me dismount, even with a brake available. Of course, the more modern rim brake would take one down the 520 feet gradient with perfect comfort. As regards the scenery, it maintains its wild and rugged character throughout. There is one long tunnel cut through the rock. The Fluella, indeed, has a dread repute for avalanches, and at one point there is a fine vista of a snow-capped peak. The backward view of the Schwarzhorn is also impressive. At length, the ruined castle which surmounts a hill behind the village of Seuss comes into view, and the Engadine Valley is attained, 35 miles from its southern limit at Maloya, and about 25 from the Austrian frontier at Martinsbruck. End of chapter 4